Joe Biden's DOJ has just announced that it will continue to investigate and likely prosecute Biden's chief political rival in 2024, Donald Trump. And in classic leftist newspeak, Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, framed the announcement as evidence that the investigation and likely prosecution would not be political because the DOJ would hire a special counsel. Now, the purpose of a special counsel is to avoid conflicts of interest in prosecutions. In the case of this investigation, the investigation of a former president currently running for president against the guy who took his job, we have never seen anything like it before. So the standard should be much, much higher to avoid the appearance of any sort of bias. The standard should be much higher that Biden isn't just going to throw everything he's got at Trump to stop him from running against him in 2024. So what did Biden do? He appointed Jack Smith, an Obama hack lawyer who most recently prosecuted war crimes at The Hague. So looking like Biden is going to go with the scorched earth strategy, kill the campaign in the cradle approach to Trump's campaign. Because if you don't think that you can beat your opponent fair and square, your only chance at keeping power is to rig the system against him. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment Friday is from Mike Hoff, who says, Beto listening to Michael say there's no such thing as a lost cause. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is what Beto is saying right now. I assume he's going to be running for dog catcher in some poor, poor locality sometime in 2024. And I hope that locality protects itself. I hope you protect yourself in your home. It's why you need ring. With the holidays coming around the corner, many of us will be traveling to see our families and loved ones soon. You may find yourself away from home more often than not. That is why I have decided to team up with Ring. With Ring security products, you can rest easy knowing that your home and family are safe when you are not there. The Ring doorbell notifies you when guests or packages arrive. Ring's indoor cameras let you keep an eye on kids and pets while you're away. Ring alarm will alert you of any motion detection while the house is empty. Plus, if you add smart lighting around your home, you can turn lights on or off while you're away. Ring's home security products don't just help keep your home and family safe. They make perfect gifts for everyone on your list. Head on over to ring.com slash collections slash offers to find out how you can live stress-free this season with a Ring product that is right for you. That is ring.com slash collections slash offers. Do it right now. Make sure that you protect your home when you're going to your relatives for Thanksgiving. When you're going to grandma's house for Christmas Eve, head on over ring.com slash collections slash offers. If the Democrats truly believed that they could easily defeat Trump at the ballot box in 2024, they would not be investigating and very likely prosecuting him. So that's the way it is. Notice you didn't really hear talk about the, an investigation and a prosecution from the DOJ of Donald Trump until it started to look more and more like Trump was going to run in 2024. Then all of a sudden, there was one day uh, in the summer where it looked like Trump was going to announce and he had been suggesting that he would 
that he would make a big announcement on that day on Truth Social, throughout social media. And what happens? That was the day that Biden's FBI thugs kicked down the door at Mar-a-Lago and, and raided the former president's home. So obviously this is nakedly political. And then the, the Biden DOJ to pretend that it's not political, what do they do? They appoint a war crimes prosecutor to go after Biden's chief rival. It's just so transparent. And it's, it's clear enough to me that the Democrats believe that if they don't rig the system in 2024, that Trump will beat them. And that's probably wise for them to think that because you, you hear a lot of talk of, oh, Donald Trump, he's the only Republican who could lose in 2024. You hear this from the Democrats, you hear this from the Republicans. Oh, those Republicans, they need to pick somebody better because Trump, he's sure to lose. He's sure, okay, if he's so sure to lose, then why are the Democrats doing every single thing they can to keep him off the ballot? If he's so sure to lose, why do the Democrats keep testing out ways to argue that the 14th Amendment uh, stops people who led an insurrection from getting on the ballot? They tried that against Marjorie Taylor Greene. They tried that against other members of Congress. It was obviously a test run to keep Trump off the ballot. You hear left-wing commentators on, on MSNBC and elsewhere say that, well, Donald Trump, he's ineligible to run for president. Okay, if you think he's going to be so easy to beat, then why are you trying to keep him off the ballot? Because you know that you all were wrong when you said that in 2016, and he beat you in 2016, and he's a hell of a lot stronger than everyone is pretending right now. And so you think that if you kill the campaign in the cradle, that's going to give you a much better shot, and you'll go up against a more standard Republican, and the Democrats believe they can, they can beat that Republican. Maybe not even because the Republican is weak, maybe just because they've already so thoroughly rigged the elections that it will be much easier. And when I say rigged the elections, what am I talking about? I'm talking about extend voter day to voter month. I'm talking about push widespread mail-in ballots, in some cases unconstitutionally or illegally. I'm talking about ballot harvesting. I'm talking about no voter ID. I'm talking about all the things that the Democrats have pushed for decades and really, really ramped up during the COVID-19 lockdowns. They used COVID as the excuse to change all the election rules, to rig it against the Republicans. And, and for some reason, those rules are still in place. That's how you know that it was total BS in 2020. Because if the argument was in 2020, we need to change all the voter rules and get rid of all the, the election integrity measures uh, because of this worldwide pandemic that we've never seen anything like it. So we got to change all the rules. If that were the case, then why were those rules still in place in Democrat controlled areas in 2022? COVID is over. Joe Biden admitted the pandemic is over. So then why do you still have the widespread mail-ins? Why do you still have election season? Why do you still not have voter ID requirements? Why? Because the Democrats obviously want to rig it. I know we're not allowed to talk about that, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Listen, Elon Musk bought Twitter. Social media feels freer. So I'm going to speak as bluntly as I possibly can. There are a whole lot of pieces of evidence that there was fraud in Arizona in 2022. There's a lot more evidence that there was fraud in 2020. But even just this last election, even in the midterms right now, there is a fabulous website, whoscounting.us slash Maricopa. You can see Maricopa election workers recounting in first-person testimony the kind of shenanigans, the, the, the clear evidence, I think, of fraud from the midterm elections. My name is Sarah O'Neill. I've been an Arizona resident for the past three years. Um, I was a poll watcher for both the primaries, uh, primaries and the midterms, um, and I wanted to relay my observations with no uh, commentary or accusation. Um, 
the door number three debacle. Uh, when I checked in, I was the ev afternoon and evening and closing uh, poll watcher. Um, I did confirm that our uh, tabulators were cleared. Uh, they were all zeros. But I also did confirm that there was no instruction for inspecting to ensure the uh, door three or the slot three was empty. So no one and not a poll worker, not a poll watcher uh, inspected to make sure it was empty. And the reason that's a point is at the end of the day, we were asked to report the number of voters checked in, the number of ballots that we're transporting, and of those number of ballots, how many were door number three. We had 1,218 ballots. We had only 1,018 voters that checked in. So, and we had, of those 1,218 ballots, 406 were door number three. So there you have it. If you don't remember the door number three debacle, what happened early in the day in Maricopa County, which is a crucial county and a crucial swing state that helped to swing the election, is that the, the voting machines stopped working. The, the voting machines reportedly in disproportionately Republican precincts stopped working. And so people had to, to file their ballots provisionally in what was called box number three. It was very convenient that there was this door number three. This was supposed to be a fail-safe measure such that if the machine stopped working, don't worry, you don't run your machine through your ballot through the tabulator. You just put it in this box and don't worry, they'll count those later. And you, you hear this poll watcher's testimony. This woman sounds totally normal, doesn't sound like a tinfoil hat lady. She said, I'm not going to include commentary or accusations. I'm just going to tell you exactly what I saw. Right? I don't expect to see this woman hosting a show on InfoWars. Though, frankly, Alex Jones has relatively a pretty good record on getting stories right. But this woman doesn't sound like someone who's about to rip her shirt off and start screaming about the gay frogs or anything. She's just calling it like she sees it. And she says, at the end of the day, we counted the number of voters who checked in versus the number of ballots we had. The number of ballots we had was 1,218. The number of voters we checked in was 1,018. So you have this, this really perfect even number, 200 extra ballots. And what do you know? They happen to be in box number three. And why were they in box number three? Because no one ever checked to see if the boxes were stuffed in the first place. You check to see that the boxes were cleared at the end of election day, but there was no measure in place to check that the boxes were not stuffed when the day started. Now, this has been a longstanding uh, a tool of uh, election theft, and it goes back all the way, I mean, gosh, it probably goes back to uh, ancient Athens, <laughs> just stuffing the ballot box. But you see this especially in the campaigns of Lyndon Johnson. You see this throughout the middle of the 20th century. FDR and Lyndon Johnson joked about this after FDR lost an election. And by the way, he didn't lose his next election for Senate specifically because he stuffed the ballot box, which came out in the 1990s. And that number, it's just such a strange number. Exactly 200 extra ballots compared to the number of voters who checked in. So what's that about? It wasn't only this woman who describes uh, election irregularities. And the, the problem wasn't only with box number three. There were other issues too. Our rejection rate, um, which I confirmed with my Democrat poll watcher counterpart, uh, I thought it was maybe 75% at least. He said, oh no, it's at least 90% rejection rate. The 17,000 number that has been uh, publicized as door number three ballots is far understated. We were there. We were there. Um, 
the discrepancy and the number of physical ballots that I had, uh, they came from somewhere. We had physically had them. They were not voters that walked in and checked in. We had 200 more ballots than voters that checked in. And I, I just want that to be on the record. So she just wants this on the record. She says, look, the numbers just don't add up here, okay? You don't need to be a math whiz to know those numbers just don't add up. Now, who was running the elections in Arizona? It was the Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, who coincidentally was running for governor that year. But one of the uh, rebuttals to this observation is, well, yeah, sure, Katie Hobbs was technically in charge of the elections, but it was really the county-level people who were running it. And by the way, in Maricopa County, most of the board members who were running the elections, most of them were Republicans. So your argument, you crazy tinfoil hat MAGA people, your argument is ridiculous. And that, that would be a strong argument that there wasn't an anti-Republican bias if not for this one inconvenient fact about the Republicans, quote unquote, who are running the elections, which we'll get to in one second. But first, we want to protect your elections. You want to protect yourself. You need Epic Will. Right now, head on over to epicwill.com. Use promo code Knowles. If you are listening to this show, odds are that you put a lot of stock into how you raise your kids. You understand that your children look up to you to define the way that they view the world. And that is why it is extremely important that you have a will in place. A will also determines how your financial assets are dispersed as well as your personal property. Lays out your healthcare power of attorney to ensure that your end of life decisions are carried out. If you are just starting out and you don't have thousands of dollars to spend on an attorney, but you want to make sure your savings, your belongings, your family are all protected, you got to create your will at epicwill.com today. Epic Will's early estate plans start at just 119 bucks. You can save 10% when you use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Go to epicwill.com, use promo code Knowles to save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. That is epicwill.com, promo code Knowles. Protect your stuff, protect your wishes, protect your cute little kids, protect it all. Epicwill.com, promo code Knowles. So the argument against the election fraud claims in Arizona is it was mostly Republicans running the show in Maricopa. Okay, who were the Republicans, though, and what were their actual political views and preferences? Here, again, at just open testimony from the people who saw what was going on in Maricopa, here's the real story. So Chairman Bill Gates and Recorder Richer, you both have lost all credibility in any shred of integrity to conduct free, Again, fair, we're not, we're, we're, no outbursts, free, please. fair, and transparent elections here in Maricopa County. When you both opened in 2021 a political action committee to specifically defeat MAGA candidates, that actually was almost our whole ballot for this primary from the Republican Party. So if you think that the public should believe the false narrative of well-run, fair, transparent elections, and outcomes, that's, you're sorely mistaken. That's not just a conflict of interest. It's a specific agenda and a pre-bias going into it. So you, at the very least, should have recused yourself from any part of this election, having opened that in 2021. So these guys who are running the show in Maricopa, nominally they're Republicans, but they hate all the Republican candidates. It's like saying that Bill Kristol and David French are Republicans. They're not really Republicans. If ever they were Republicans, they certainly are no longer. They spend all of their time attacking Republicans and shilling for Democrats. It's like calling Liz Cheney a Republican. Yeah, she still sort of keeps an R by her name, even though she was booted out of her state's Republican Party. 
by vote, but she effectively all she ever does is help the Democrats. And what this woman's pointing out here is she's saying, look, it's not even just that you guys have your preferences. It's not even just that you register a certain way. You have been actively campaigning within the last year to raise money for and help defeat all the sort of Republican candidates that were on this ballot. You've taken extraordinary political measures to do that. So at the very least, you guys should have backed away from running this election, especially an election that from the get-go had so many convenient and coincidental errors and holdups and snags and snafus, and that took days and days and days to tabulate the results. It's just BS, okay? And I think this is one of the ways that you can sniff out the difference between the real right-wingers and the court jester conservatives. You know, the real people who, who want to advocate for conservative, a conservative society and the people who basically just exist to legitimize the dominant liberal culture, okay, who exist to do a little soft shoe and a little dance routine to pretend like there's opposition in our politics when in fact there is not. All they really do is help to preserve the legitimacy of the liberal order. And, and one of the ways that, that uh, you can distinguish between these two groups is who is calling out the system. It's not just enough to attack those socialist Democrats. Those socialist Democrats want to raise your taxes. Can you believe those, that crazy AOC? Oh, goodness, that crazy, look what she said now. Look, she's a crazy leftist. Donate to the Republican Party because she is a crazy, yeah, AOC is a problem. Yeah, the socialists are a problem. What about the system? What about the system? As far as I'm concerned, in a post 2020 world, after the Democrats changed all the election rules to give them an unfair advantage, after we saw a large portion of the Republican Party outed as, as nothing more than wolves in sheep's clothing doing the bidding of the Democrats, if you are not talking about election integrity and trying to fix that problem, then I think you're a fraud. I think you're a fraud conservative who doesn't want to actually fix something. If all you are doing in politics is trying to cut taxes and, and look, I love tax cuts, all right? I'm not knocking tax cuts. I love it. I don't want to pay any more in taxes. I want to pay much less. But if that's all you're talking about, and then if the effect of the rest of your political views is to enshrine in power the liberal order, then I think you're a fraud. I'll give you an example of this. If you're one of these Republicans who says, well, listen, I don't, I don't like this big tech censorship, but it's a private company. Google's a private company. Actually, it's not. Actually, it was developed with fun, direct funding from the government. But uh, And actually, they have more power than pretty much any nation in the history of the world. And they control our political order and our, our, uh, our speech regime. But anyway, yeah, sure. They're a private company. And so therefore, just build your own Google. If you're saying that, you are wittingly or unwittingly a shill for the liberal order. Either way, you're not a real conservative as far as I'm concerned. If you're the sort of conservative who says, well, yeah, it's probably not good that we're flooding the country with a million foreign nationals legally every year and two million foreign nationals illegally, but you know, that's freedom. You know what the Statue of Liberty is alleged to say. You know, uh, give us your poor, huddled, uh, drug-dealing Mexican cartels and we'll give you freedom or something. Oh, uh, that's just America. You know, if, if, if the effect of your political views, your allegedly conservative political views, is to just do everything the liberals want, censor conservative speech, flood the country with illegal aliens, outsource jobs, give more medical power to a bunch of weirdo bureaucrats like Dr. Fauci. If that's the effect of your views, then you're just a fraud, okay? 
you're not calling out the system at all. You are, you are a pawn in the system. And, uh, I, and I, I absolutely want nothing to do with those quote-unquote Republicans, those quote-unquote conservatives, okay? Now, speaking of the rigged system, some conservative politicians, I'm thinking of Trump, I'm thinking of Viktor Orban in Hungary, I'm thinking of Georgia Maloney in Italy, you know I love her. They're the kinds of politicians who run, and they don't just say the same old platitudes. They say, no, this is rigged. I know it's rigged. I've seen it be rigged. Trump famously would say, I know the system is totally corrupt because I've used it to my advantage. <laughs> yeah, I used to donate to Democrats because I'd grease the wheels and I'd buy them off. <laughs> You're right. That's what happens in this, in this uh, form of government. So Georgia Maloney just did this. Georgia Maloney just put the rest of the EU, specifically France, on blast and their ridiculous arguments for why they've got to flood Europe with foreigners. Here's her argument. I'll translate. This is called the CFA franc. It's a type of colonial currency that, that France prints for African countries. And it applies seniorage to these countries, and it allows them to take the exports of the countries. This is a, this is a child. She's holding up a picture. This is a child who works in a gold mine in Burkina Faso. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. France prints colonial money for Burkina Faso. In return, they demand, they demand 50% of everything that Burkina Faso exports. The gold that this child goes down to pull up mostly ends up in the French state. So the solution here is not to take Africans and bring them to Europe. The, the solution is to liberate Africa from the Europeans who are exploiting it and allow these people to keep what they have and li live on what they have. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. You, you can see here not only a, a good political end in sight, which is to stop the mass migration to Europe, which the European people rightly don't like because it's, it's uh, lawless and it's unsustainable and it will deprive them of their own culture. If you, if you just flood a country with new people and you don't assimilate those people in any way, which is not, it's not even possible in the amount of time that these people are coming in, then, then you, you destroy your own culture. And, and so the way she's doing it, though, is she's making an argument that will be that will be appealing to a broad array of people. She's not saying those awful Africans, we hate those Africans, don't let those Africans come in. She's saying the arguments that France is making are preposterous. France is making the argument that we need to take in all these Africans. And by the way, the Africans are mostly going to places like Italy. They're going to these first ports at Lampedusa and these kind of places where they first come to. And she says, but you're making the argument that we need to take these people in because their countries are so poor. But you, France, you're looting those countries. You're exploiting those people. And you are profiting yourself. And then you want other people to, to pick up the tab. And that's so often what happens. That's what happens here with our woke corporations. Our woke corporations will, will flood the country with illegal aliens. They will encourage. It's not just the Democrats encouraging illegal immigration. It's these corporations. It's, it's the Chamber of Commerce, too because they know that it will give them cheap labor. It will reduce the costs of labor. And then all the externalities, all of the costs that go along, cultural, political, financial costs that go along with illegal immigration, crime, these companies say, okay, everyone else has to deal with it. It is just, it, it, it really ends up being pretty simple. It is a consequence 
of turning politics away from the common good of the whole nation to provide for the general welfare, to think of us as a community, as the United States of America, toward an entirely selfish view of politics, which we obviously see on the left, the left's new moral maxim, new, it's been their moral maxim now for 60, 70 years, is if it feels good, do it. If I want to do it, then I'm going to do it. You do you, fine. But, but people on the right have done this too. This is the right's adoption of greed is good. There's no such thing as the common good, the virtue of selfishness, nonsense. It, well, it's the left and the right both doing that. And what's the effect of it? To rob the country of, of any sense of the common good, of any sense of commonality, of any sense that we're a country at all, okay? But I am still an American. I'm a red-blooded American, okay? And my blood is redder and more rich in iron because I eat good ranchers. Right now, head on over to goodranchers.com. Use promo code Knowles. Due to a shrinking herd, beef prices are expected to rise another 15% in 2023. Prices are going to seem cheap in just a few months. Supply is going to continue to become more and more scarce. That's why I love my good ranchers. You know what I had for lunch the other day? Oh, I was so excited. I came in, um, I'm sitting down, there was kind of a stir fry and then some delicious steak on top. I said, I tried the steak. I said, "Mm, wow, that is some superb steak, sweet little Lisa. Where'd you get it? And she said, Mike, that is, of course, the Good Rancher Steak. And it was so good. I think it was the ribeye. I forget. But their, their quality is just through the roof, okay? It's just amazing. And what Good Ranchers does is they inflation-proof your grocery bill by locking in your price for the life of your subscription, which is just completely insane. <laughs> you can choose a price for meat right now, and you're just going to have it for your whole subscription. Right now, they've on top of that, have a great Black Friday offer. Get two 12-ounce Black Angus New York strip steaks and two pasture-raised chicken breasts for free with any order when you use code Knowles. Head on over right now, goodranchers.com. Use code Knowles at checkout for this special offer. That's goodranchers.com. Code Knowles for two Black Angus New York strip steaks and pasture-raised chicken breasts for free with your order. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. You talk about a rigged system. Over the past two years at least, though it's really been building for a longer time, the social media giants have clamped down on conservative speech. It hasn't been an even clamping down on speech. It's been almost entirely focused on the right. Now, what does that mean? In a country that's supposedly a self-government, where the way that we pass laws and govern ourselves is by persuading one another of arguments, if you control speech, you control the whole culture. This is the point of my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Lines, a number one national bestseller. It makes a great Christmas present. Just pointing that out before Black Friday. So that has been the situation on the ground. And then in walks... Elon Musk. And Elon Musk comes in and he buys Twitter. And at first it seems like a joke and a meme. And for a while it looked like he didn't want to buy Twitter, but then a judge sort of forced him to buy Twitter. And so anyway, he spends $44 billion and he is having a whole lot of fun. And there have been all of these debates over, do you let people on? Do you not let people on? Do you have free speech? Do you not have free speech? I I got into a little spat with Sam Harris. You know, Sam Harris made a splash as one of these atheists, 15 years ago, he was one of the four new atheists, which was much more a publishing trend than than an intellectual movement. But anyway, that's where he became somewhat famous. And uh, he said, it's really dangerous. You can't have people like Donald Trump or whoever on Twitter. It's really dangerous for these people to spread misinformation. Can you imagine how dangerous it is? And And I responded to him and I said, Sam, you know, you're right. Elon should not tolerate the New York Times or the Washington Post remaining on this platform. I mean, when I think of the dangerous lies that they spread, those guys need to be axed immediately. And Sam responded with some sort of glib, you know, oh yeah, you've really thought about this, haven't you, Michael? Which, by the way, I have 
Uh, and then I referenced my number one national bestselling book, Speechless, which I recommend you get for Black Friday. Uh, so the, the point here, I think, though, is that the New York Times and the Washington Post are responsible for, for a great deal more evil because of their dishonest journalism than Donald Trump is. What do they accuse Donald Trump of doing? Donald Trump led an insurrection. He didn't really do that. Well, he led those people to go to the Capitol. Well, he sort of, a little bit he did that, though he said to be peaceful. And people died. Yeah, the only person who died in the political violence of that day was a Trump supporter named Ashley Babbitt, who was murdered by a trigger-happy cop. That's it. And then I think if you really want to add to the numbers, I think a couple of people died of natural causes that day. There were a lot of people there and people had heart attacks and stuff like that. But no one died. No cops were murdered. None of that. That was all completely made up, okay? Furthermore, when you look at the New York Times' advocacy of certain wars, you know, you can look at the New York Times spreading propaganda and nonsense to justify some of our recent wars. Think about the people who died as a result of that. You think about the the nonsense spread by the Washington Post and the New York Times with regard to the Russia hoax, which allowed or gave cover to the government to spy on a rival presidential campaign and then undermine a duly elected president. Goodness sakes, that's a, that's a big problem. I, I mean, I, I was joking a little bit with Sam Harris, but I'm pretty serious. There's a strong argument to be made that the New York Times and the Washington Post should not be permitted on Twitter because their, their dishonesty has led to really awful outcomes. It's led to death in some cases, okay? And so uh, Elon Musk is taking a middle ground here. He is not a free speech absolutist, and he's getting a lot of flack from the right about this. But I don't think he should. I think this is actually extremely based. I, you know, I, I know this puts me on the outs with some of the right wing, though I think actually the conservatives are coming much more over to my point of view here. But there's nothing conservative about free speech absolutism, there's nothing conservative about having a bunch of obscenity and porn and direct threats all over social media and in the public square. That's not conservative. That's radical and leftist, okay? And it was the libs who tricked conservatives into believing that nonsense, okay? And so Elon Musk comes out, he says, new Twitter policy is freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. Negative hate tweets will be max deboosted and demonetized, so no ads or other revenue to Twitter. You won't find the tweet unless you specifically seek it out, which is no different from the rest of the internet. Kathy Griffin, Jordan Peterson, and the Babylon Bee have been reinstated. Trump decision has not been made yet, although you'll see what comes later. Alex Jones is not allowed on Twitter. Now, I don't agree with all of those decisions. I think Alex Jones should be on Twitter. Kathy Griffin, I, I don't mind if she's not on Twitter. I'm glad that eventually Trump did come back on, spoiler alert. But the principle that Elon is describing here is totally right. Okay? And, and you're hearing... The, the right say, well, new boss, same as the old boss. This is no different from what the left is doing. It is different. It is different. When conservatives allow good and true and beautiful things to be present in the public square and discourage ugly and false and evil things in the public square, that is not the same as when the left exalts ugliness and wickedness and falsehood and suppresses goodness, truth, and beauty. It's not the same. Yes, both involve having standards. Both involve having norms. Both involve having taboos. Both involve limiting speech. But that procedural similarity does not mean that they are substantively the same thing. 
to, to do good and avoid evil is not the same thing as to do evil and avoid good, okay? And conservatives used to understand this. Conservatives used to be the group of norms and standards and having higher ideals and being polite and understanding chivalry. Chivalry is a, is a code of speech and behavior that censors certain things, okay? Being a gentleman involves censoring certain things and limiting what can be said and done and promoting other things that are said and done, okay? But that's all regimes, okay? That's all states. That's all forms of speech. There are always limits. And so I don't think we should knock Elon for having standards and norms. I think that we should help to tweak his standards and norms, but his standards and norms are a hell of a lot better than Vijaya Gadi, was that her name? The, the Twitter apparatchik who banned Trump the first time? And, his, and Elon's are a hell of a lot better than Jack Dorsey's, and I think he should be encouraged in that. The libs are freaking out. CBS News said they were going to stop tweeting out of an abundance of caution. Caution about what? Well, with the changing standards at Twitter, we're going to stop tweeting out of an abundance of caution. What do you think is going to happen? And then, by the way, this is the best part. 48 hours later, uh, CBS starts tweeting again. Okay, but we're monitoring the situation, they said, but but we're going to be back on Twitter. Okay, that's great. They're freaking out, all right? Trump is back. This, and the way Elon did it was brilliant. He threw, threw up a poll. He said, should Trump go back on? Most people said yes. Then all of a sudden, it started to turn. There were tens of millions of votes in this poll. You could tell there were some, maybe some political forces here that were trying to keep Trump off of Twitter. But Elon said, vox populi, vox dei. The voice of the people is the voice of God, which is a principle I don't exactly agree with. But nevertheless, it gave him a way of bringing Trump back to Twitter without taking all of the responsibility for it. It's really important for the political order. When that Twitter lawyer lady booted Trump off of Twitter, that was a revolution in America's political order. That was saying that some billionaire leftists in Silicon Valley and their, min, uh, their minions can censor, can ostracize the duly elected sitting president of the United States. So it's a very important a restoration of America's political order. This is not just a minor, funny little meme thing. Oh, there goes Elon. Ooh, giddy, giddy, he, he, he put Trump back. This is actually a major restoration of America's political order. The question is, will Trump actually come back on and use the account? I hope he does. When they reinstated Trump's account, he had zero followers. Now he's up to like 10 bazillion. He's got way more followers than Joe Biden. He's obviously very popular, despite what the lying press wants to tell you. Despite the constant negative press, Kofefe is what Trump proved to us. And uh, I think he should come back on. The trouble for Trump is he's, he's made a deal with Truth Social that that will be his social media platform. But no one looks at Truth Social. The only reason anyone checks Truth Social is to see what Trump has to say, which is probably a sizable number of people, but is not actually being used as a social network. If Trump goes back onto Twitter, he will have so much more reach, he will dominate the conversation again. The guy is now a declared candidate for president. So I hope he figures out some way to thread the needle, but I want Trump back on Twitter. Good on Elon for doing it. Good on Elon for having standards too. The guy is doing almost everything right. And the libs are so freaking out. I don't know about you. I feel like I am living in 2015 again. I am having deja vu all over again. For some of our younger listeners, they might not even remember 2015 all that well. I mean, it's amazing to think right now, that's seven years ago now. It's a, in, within a month and a half, it's going to be eight years ago. That was a long time ago. And it's, it's, it just makes me think that people don't learn anything because all of the same stupid arguments from, all, from exactly the same people we are hearing again 
trot it out as though it is fresh and new. Marx and Engels, you know, talk about calling out the system, talking about breaking up regular political platitudes and attitudes. I'll give Marx and Engels some credit here. History repeats itself first as tragedy, then as farce. You know, Jeremy's Razors may have started out as maybe the best joke we ever told, but now it is more real than ever. If you don't know the backstory, last year, Harry's dropped their ads from our network, condemning our views, my views in particular, as inexcusable. Me, can you believe that me, whom everybody loves so? Uh, Because, you know, I said that boys are boys and girls are girls. Now, rather than boycott Harry's, uh, Daily Wire co-CEO and God King Jeremy Boring started his own rival razor company. And in his quest to earn your business from those woke companies that hate your guts, the God King has turned a single yet glorious razor into a triumphant new line of men's products. Products such as a nourishing shampoo and conditioner, charcoal body wash, luxurious beard kit, and a new Precision 5 razor with flip-back trimmer. Unlike those woke razor companies, Jeremy's is the only company built on truth. Like the truth that masculinity is not toxic and that men cannot be women. So if you're ready to get a great shave or exfoliating wash from a company that refuses to play pretend or bow down to the woke mob, go to jeremysrazors.com today. And remember, stop giving your money to woke corporations that hate you. Give it to Jeremy instead. Uh, really tough news for Trump out of the Huffington Post. Oh, it's the, from the Huffington Post quoting key evangelical figures. There's the headline here. Key evangelical figures turn on Trump. He used us, Huffington Post says. One of these people ripped the ex-president for acting like a little elementary school child. Another warned that if the GOP turns to him in 2024, we will get destroyed. We will, Donald Trump can't save America, said one of these guys to the Washington Post. He can't even save himself. People are done with Trump. The walls are closing in. They've got him now. (laughs) Do these people, do these people ever learn anything? No, they don't. They don't. The reason that some people are surprised by this is because they have very short memories. Short memory. And so this is all being reported as, wow, the Republican Party, which was totally unified behind Trump, now some of them are turning on him. (laughs) Trump might not have that same lock on the GOP that he previously had. Wow, certain evangelical leaders are turning on him, allegedly. Wow, certain institutional establishment conservatives are turning on him. Wow, oh gosh. We've never seen this before. This was exactly what happened when he ran. This is the whole story of Trump. He runs in 2015. And you have certain leaders of the, of the conservative movement, whatever you want to call it, say, oh, he's terrible. He's awful. If we run with him, we'll lose. It's guaranteed. He's vulgar. He acts like a school child. It's, even, it's all the same attacks. Didn't matter then. I don't think it will really matter now. It's tw- now, I'm not saying necessarily that Trump will get the nomination, but he has a good shot at it. He has a good shot at it. Because, yes, a lot of conservatives, a lot of people on the right, don't like Donald Trump. Probably many listeners to this show don't even like Donald Trump. You know, I like him a lot. But he's got, I understand, he's got flaws. He rubs people the wrong way. Maybe it's just because I'm from New York that I get a little more of a kick out of him than other people do. But it doesn't matter. He doesn't need to win over the majority of Republicans. He doesn't. He needs to win over the plurality of Republicans. 
and and this is and he doesn't need to win over any of the establishment elite people who run the media outlets and who run the think tanks and who who even run the RNC. That doesn't matter. Okay, he just needs a plurality of the voters in the early primary states. And so, sure, you're going to have. You just had National Review just came out. Where are they? National Review says no. A firm unmistakable no from National Review after he announces that he's running, which doesn't carry any water anymore because that's what they said last time. When he ran in 2015, they had a big front page article against Trump. And it was all these different people who wrote their own columns and reflections on why Trump shouldn't be the nominee. And then most of those people ended up supporting Trump. No, never Trump. And then what happens? Most of never Trump ends up supporting Trump. So now you can't go back. Paul Ryan apparently just said he's never again Trump. You can't be never again Trump. Never means never or you lose credibility, okay? So, so these guys, they come out, they say, no, we hate Trump. And then for two years, they say, no, we actually really like Trump. Four years, we really like Trump. And now they hate Trump again. Okay, fine. But if we gave any heed to what you were saying in 2015, we're not going to give heed to it now because you're just blowing in the wind back and forth. And we know how it turned out last time. So why do we believe it's going to turn out any differently today. I don't think necessarily that Trump will get the nomination, but I think he's got a good shot at it. Don't forget, people forget, they think that Trump was inevitable in 2015. Had Marco Rubio dropped out of the race earlier, Ted Cruz would have been the nominee. Would Ted have won the general? I don't know. We, we, we just can't know. It's a counter historical question, but it is, it is in fact the case that Ted Cruz would have gotten the nomination had Rubio dropped out sooner. That I think we can say with some certainty. So a lot is going to depend now on the candidates in 2024. But Trump right now, it, right now the whole thing looks and feels exactly like it did in 2015. So we've got no reason to think that Trump isn't going to have a very good shot at it. And the way the libs and the way that the establishment are freaking out over Trump right now makes me think he's got a real good shot over it. Okay. The fact is Trump remains extremely relevant. Trump's enemies remain less relevant. The fact is MAGA, the, the movement that supported Trump with a different set of policy prescriptions than was being offered by the GOP, remains relevant. The GOP establishment is much less relevant, certainly in the minds of voters. And you hear people whining about this. I mean, you hear Adam Kinzinger, you know, the male, allegedly male Liz Cheney, comes out, he goes on MSNBC and he whines and he whines and he says, this isn't the GOP. This isn't, this is tribalism. It's all the same rhetoric from seven years ago. Why do you think more people don't feel that he crossed their red lines in the Republican Party? You know, part of it's tribalism, right? You know, the second, if, if one of them says, look, I've, I've had enough with Donald Trump, you get kicked out of your tribe. Look, when I got elected, I, I remember I'd just gotten out of Iraq. This was 2009. I got elected in 2010. And I remember thinking, if I'm going to ask people to be willing to die for this country, and obviously I'm going to have to take votes on that, and I have, I have to be willing to give up my career for the same cause. Now, that sounds innovative, but it's so true. You know, we, we swear an oath to the Constitution, not because what we're going to do is easy and not because I have to take a poll every time I vote on things like, should Donald Trump be impeached? And what does my district say? It's because my oath is, is not to my district. It's to the Constitution. And there he is, valiant Adam Kinzinger, giving up his seat for the cause of our democracy and to fight that evil tribalism. First of all, 
Adam Kinzinger did not sacrifice his seat for anything noble. His, his district was erased because of redistricting in the state of Illinois. <laughs> okay. Now, maybe had Adam Kinzinger played his cards a little bit smarter and had a little bit more backbone politically, uh, maybe he would have been able to remain uh, viable in politics. But he didn't, and his, his district was erased, and now he's pretending to be a martyr when, in fact, he's not. But it's that first part that really gets me. Is there any stupider word in our current political discourse than tribalism? Yes, there is. The one, the one stupider word is authoritarianism because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> because every, both sides accuse one another of being authoritarian. And by that, they mean seeking to impose any vision on politics which is just what politics is. That's just what self-government is. It doesn't mean anything. You, you think we should live according to the laws that you and your community believe in? How authoritarian? No, that's just what, that's just called politics, man. That's just called self-government. So that might be the one word that's slightly dumber. But the, <laughs> the second dumbest word is tribalism. It's all this tribalism. What do you think politics is? Do you think politics, this actually is probably why these people have a very skewed political view. Politics is a team sport. In order to do anything in politics, you have to have allies and you have to have shared goals and you have to have a division of labor and you have to have a strategy and you go and you work together and you get something done. That's politics. Politics means public. It doesn't mean personal. It doesn't mean you just do whatever you want individually all the time. It is tribal. And why are there political tribes? Well, largely because people have a shared view of the world. And if you believe that human life has value, then you're going to oppose abortion. And you're also going to oppose transing the kids. They don't seem like they're totally related, but they share basic premises about what human life is, who we are, where we come from. There are many more examples of that. Very often the political tribes that we are so quick to decry these days are very coherent tribes. It makes sense. It makes sense that the Democrats, who have no respect for our traditions, are happy to outsource our jobs, destroy our communities, obliterate the family, open up our borders, it's in, uh, throw away our sovereignty, give it to international institutions. That makes sense. We, we, frankly, we need more tribalism. We need, we need clearer tribalism, at least on the right, because you've got good tribalism on the left. Or good. I mean, you've got effective tribalism on the left. That's why the left is much more effective at wielding political power. The right needs to do that a little bit better. We're not going to do it with these, you know, parading drama queens like Adam Kinzinger, who, who do nothing but adore themselves on MSNBC all the time. Before we go, there was a clip from an actress that I had never heard of, Tia Mowry. And Tia Mowry just went on some show. I guess it's on, I guess it's Hoda and Jenna. It's one of the NBC shows. And she, she described this, this self-adoring, individual, atomized view of society. She, she exalted divorce as a, a kind of a self-love. At the end of the day, it's about self-love. And when you start to really work on yourself, love yourself, know your value, know your worth, and then all of a sudden there's this awakening. Wow. And it's, it's, it's not easy. It's a hard journey, but at the end of the day, I feel like it is so, so worth it. My marriage was a success. Yeah. I look at it as like a curriculum when you're in college or high school, right? 
you're learning, you're growing, you're evolving, you're creating. And I was able to create with Corey some beautiful, amazing children. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that curriculum and at the end, there's a graduation, there's a celebration. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people look at, when they look at marriage, that success equals longevity. But no, at the end of the day, it's, are they happy? Um, are they thriving? Are they growing? And at, I feel like that is what is most important. It's not about staying in something because however long you are in that situation, mm -hmm. that equals success. It's about really, again, are you happy? Because life is really short. All of that is wrong. Everything she just said is, is not true. The, the, the measure of marriage is in fact longevity. How do you have a good marriage? You don't get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> that's the basic element. There's more to it than that, but that's the basic element. And what liberal modernity does, one of the most pernicious aspects of liberal modernity is it robs us of an awareness of the significance of time. What Christian civilization does is it reminds us of the significance of time because Christ is incarnate in a time and a place and, and you can see salvation take place, reading the journalistic accounts, seeing it happen in real time. Life is a process of sanctification. It's, there are actual sacraments that we have in space and time and then sanctification takes place over space and time and we're just keenly aware of that. We measure our time according to the, the birth of our Savior, right? Anno Domini is the year of our Lord, and B.C. is before Christ. And, and now the secularists want to rewrite that, and they say it's the common era and before the common era. What's the common era, guys? <laughs> and we're talking about Christ, right? So we're measuring that time. And what liberal modernity does, and says, no, time doesn't matter. You never need to grow up. You never need to do anything. You never really need to grow. You never, even when you engage in lifelong, what are supposed to be lifelong commitments, you just graduate and you start from square one again. And we never go anywhere and we never learn anything and we don't move on and we don't grow up. So we're living in never, never land. And it's awful. And when you hear this woman say things like, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of therapy. I love, you know, it's just self-love. It's just, look, we're just, you know, man, it's just kind of about self you know, adulation, and me, and me, and me, and me, and me. And she's using all this language of the sort of hippy-dippy modern liberal people, and it's really, really sad. That is not happiness. She says at the end, she goes, life is short, seize the day. And it reminds me of a quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, carpe diem, you know, this idea to seize the day. The people who support the carpe diem religion are not the happy people. Carpe diem is the religion of very, very unhappy people because they're desperate, they're grasping at anything because they think that the story is going to have a sad ending. But if you, if you really understand that life is a marathon, not just a sprint, it's not just about individual moments of pleasure, then you will be much, much happier in the end. Because then YOLO has a real meaning. It's not just you only live once, so just have some fun and turn to worm food. It's you only live once, you've got to make it count. You've got to build, you've got to grow. There is an end in sight. And you could go to the good place, you could go to the bad place, okay? So don't go to the bad place. Let's, let's, uh, Let's keep up the fight and let's keep the faith. Now, today's Music Monday. And I am told by my producers that we're listening to rap music today. Great. <laughs> the rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it if you're not a member. Click the link in the description and join us.